Testament, 2 Samuel chapter number 13. I've sort of got stuck over there on the life of David, and I've sort of been preaching the last several messages on this devouring sword that came to David's house as a direct result of his sin. And uh, tonight, and uh, Brother Jamie going to have to listen up, I told him for the service, I said, you know the man that, that was in and out and up and down in the Bible, don't you? And he said, I think I've heard that before. And I said, you ain't never heard that before because I ain't never preached it. And I said, if you listen here in a little bit, now, you just hang on, because tonight I'm going to tell you about a man that was in and out and was up and down. I hope it'll help us. I hope it won't just challenge our heart. I hope it'll change us. I hope it'll help us tonight. God, I've been reading back through this. It's amazing. You go back through and you just sort of chew on it and meditate on it, and the Lord gives you a thought that helps me. Again, it's impossible for me to try to bring something to you that don't first help me. So I've had to deal with it, and I hope it'll be a blessing and encouragement to you tonight. I'm not going to ask you to stand. We've read through this passage several times already. And, of course, the context of this, 2 Samuel 13, well, chapter 12. Chapter 11 is where David fell into sin. Chapter 12 is where God pronounced judgment, but he proved his love to David, a man after God's own heart, because he sent a man of God to confront him in his sin. Now, Nathan's responsibility was to deliver the message. It was not his responsibility to change David's heart. It was his responsibility to deliver the mail, if you will. Then it was up to David, and the same holds true today. You know, God has not asked me to change anybody because I can't change anybody. But what God has done, he's asked me to be that, that, that tool or that mouthpiece to deliver the message. Now, it's my responsibility to preach what God gives you, but it's your responsibility to receive what thus saith the Word of God and take it as it is. Sometimes it's encouragement, sometimes it's reproof, sometimes it's rebuke, sometimes it's correction, sometimes it's instruction, sometimes it's a warning. But regardless, man, I don't, I've said this many, many times, I have no axe to grind. I'm just, I'm trying to do what God's called me to do and preach His Word. I love people, I love the Lord, and I want to be a help to you tonight as we're looking uh, in this passage. Of course, David uh, has committed that sin. In verse number 10, Nathan, with a message from God, said, Now, there or there, wherefore, the, the sword shall not depart out of your house. That wherefore, what was it there for? Well, the reason is being uh, because of his sin with Bathsheba, God pronounced judgment. And it was a long-lasting judgment. We looked how Amnon was killed and Absalom was killed and Adonijah was killed. And that little baby that died in 2 Samuel chapter number 12, you, you can't get away from that. That was a direct judgment from God. You see, when we choose to sin, you can pick the, the sin of choice, but you cannot choose the consequences that may apply unto you. But no, there, 
consequences do apply. Rest assured of that, the book of Numbers still said, Be sure your sin will find you out. And we're living in a culture today, and, and I'm thankful fate's not like that. And there are several churches around not like that, that we still preach on sin. It's needed, man. It's necessary, yeah. We need some good stuff. But I'm just saying, if, if we'll get right in, in the sin department to get right with God, man, he'll change our lives. He'll change our family. He'll change our community. He's able to do that. But it's our responsibility to deal with the subject of sin. But here we look at Amnon. We know the first few verses till about, about verse number 20, 21. It talks about the sin of Amnon going after his half-sister Tamar. And he violated her. I'm not going into great lengths on that. You can go back and you can read it. And of course it was a violation of the law of God. God said not to uncover uh, your sister's nakedness, and that's exactly what he did. He devised a plan, he schemed, and then it was fulfilled. And we pick up reading here right after that, verse number 21 of 2 Samuel 13. But when King David heard of all these things, he was very wroth. Now David was upset when he heard that the heir to his throne, the firstborn, which is Amnon, and the reason we know that, you can go back to 2 Samuel chapter number 3 and verse number 2, Amnon was the first that was born there in Hebron, so he was heir to the throne. And when David heard that Amnon had violated his, his daughter, he was wroth, but we don't see anywhere where David ever corrected or discipline him. And it's still my contention, my belief. That's one of the reasons that Absalom rebelled against his father because of resentment, because his daddy didn't lift a finger to do anything when, when Amnon had violated his full sister. And I'm talking about Absalom there. But notice verse 22. After all this happened, David was wroth. But look at verse 22. And Absalom spake unto his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. And it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shears in Baal-Hazor, which is beside Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. And Absalom came to the king and said, Behold now, thy servant hath sheep shears. Let the king, I beseech thee and his servants, go with thy servant. And the king said to Absalom, Nay, my son, let us not all now go, lest we be chargeable unto thee. And he pressed him. You'll find that again in just a moment. Howbeit he would not go, but blessed him. Then said Absalom, If not, I pray thee, let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said unto him, Why should he go with thee? But Absalom pressed him. That's twice. You'll find it verse uh, number 25, verse number 27. The Bible said, But Absalom pressed him, that he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Mark ye now. When Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say unto you, smite Amnon, then kill him. Fear not, have not I commanded you, be courageous and be valiant. And the servants of Absalom did unto Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and every man got him up upon his mule and fled. Now let's pray. Fathers, we bow in your presence, God, again tonight. Lord, I'm thankful that you are alive and, and well tonight. And Lord, sometimes it may seem like chaos down here and confusing. 
But Lord, I'm glad there's no confusion and chaos in heaven. Lord, at the right hand of the Father where you are. And God, I sure do need that help tonight. I need that unction. I pray that you'd take your word. I pray that it fall on good fertile soil. I pray that you'd help the messenger tonight, Lord, that I may decrease, that Jesus may be increased and lifted up. Lord, I confess publicly, I'm a big fat zero. I'm nothing. You are everything. Have the preeminence now. Save that sinner that's near as hell. Help the saints of God. We'll be careful to thank you and praise you for all you do. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people say Amen. Well, we've read this passage several times. We've read through this already in 2 Samuel uh, chapter number 13. And I guess if I could go by way of introduction, just a few things we could say about Absalom. Now, all this can be traced back to David, 2 Samuel 12, verse number 10. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house. That was a judgment that was pronounced upon David. Now, the reason we're dealing with uh, Amnon and, and Tamar's situation, Absalom's situation here, killing his brother. These will be, Amnon and Absalom will be held accountable and they will be judged for their actions. But the reason that all that came to pass, it originated with David's sin. And as a judgment of God, the, the sword never departed out of David's house. There are several things about eight of them that we could say about Amnon. If I were to break down an outline, oftentimes I do that. When I look, I guess it's just a preacher in me. When I'm reading through a scripture, I'm thinking about some things, how I can relay it. And all these start with S. But as we go through these verses that I just read, just sort of by way of introduction, think about Absalom. He had several things at his disposal. First of all, we know that he had silence, according to verse number 22. For the Bible said, And Absalom spake unto his brother, Amnon, neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. I believe there was some silence there. He didn't say anything good, Brother Harold. He didn't say anything bad. I think he gave his brother the silent treatment. Some of you husbands know what I'm talking about. Amen. You ever, ever had the silent treatment? Where they want, or maybe, maybe the wives have had a silent treatment. Maybe when you get upset or something, well, listen. Absalom didn't speak anything good or anything bad. So we could say that Absalom had some silence here. Not only that, he had some simmering. Notice as you read on, then that, that last part, that verse 22, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. Now, if the verse had stopped there, you could say, well, all right, he hated, but did he get better? No, it got worse, man. Look at verse 23. And it came to pass after two full years. He's still mad. You know, it's sort of like putting soup on, or you get something on the pot, and it says to let it simmer. It's sort of like rice. You get that rice boil, and then it says put the lid on it and let that thing simmer. It means it's going to take some time for that thing to get right. Well, I'm going to tell you this. Oh, Absalom, we know he had some silence, but he had some simmering. You could also call it smoldering anger that was building up. In those two years, Brother Howard, he didn't get less bitter. He got more bitter. That's why the Bible lets us know in Hebrews chapter number 12, man, lest any man fail of the grace of God, he talks about getting rid of that root of bitterness. It's sort of like a, you get a splinter in your hand, all right? You say, well, I'm going to knock the top of it off. If you don't get down in there, that thing will fester, and it'll get worse and worse and worse as time goes on. Well, that's what's happened here to Absalom. So he's, we see his silence, we see his simmering, but notice verse 23, we see he had some sheep. For the Bible said that, came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shears in Belhazor, which is beside Ephraim. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. Now, according to that, 
It was getting time for sheep shearing season. And they would have that big festival, and he's inviting all. He invited the king first. We'll talk about that in a second. All the king's sons. But why in the world would you have a sheep shearing going on if you didn't have any sheep? Man, he had some silence. He had some simmering and some smoldering anger. You can gather that by the time you get to the end of what I just read. But he also had some sheep. It's interesting, too, Brother Harold. Oh, Amnon went to see some sheep, but he met a pack of wolves. I thought about preaching on that, but the Lord wouldn't let me. But there he went. He, he makes his way up here just a moment. He thinks he's going to, to deal with sheep. But he deals with a pack of wolves with the servants of Absalom. But we see that he had sheep, but he also had siblings. Look at the last part of verse 23. And Absalom invited all the king's sons. It was a plot. It was a scheme. Behind this whole deal, Absalom had waited those two years patiently and he had simmered and he got mad and he's devised this plan. And he's going to ask for all of them to come. He's not after all of them. He's just after one and that one being Amnon. So we see he had siblings to all the king's sons. So they all went up. Look at verse number 24. I call this the solicitation because that's what, Ab- or that's what Absalom did with his father. Look at verse 24. And Absalom came to the king, and that king's none other than David, and said, Behold, now thy servant has sheep shears. Let the king, I beseech thee, or I beg thee, that's what that word beseech means, I beseech thee, and his servants go with thy servant. And the king said to Absalom, Nay, my son. In other words, he said, No, I'm not going to go. And then he tells us why. Let us not all now go, lest we be chargeable unto thee. Think about this. The king, Brother Harold, he wants the king to come. He want, and the king, of course, he's going to have his guards around him. He's going to ask for Amnon to come, which is heir to the throne. He's going to have heirs around him. All the king's children, there's going to be a bunch of folks that go up there, and it's going to take a lot to feed them. It's going to take a lot to lodge them and to meet their need. And David said, we don't need to go up there and be chargeable unto you. David ain't got a clue what Absalom has devised in his Mind. And we see the solicitation. He begged the king, but look at, and David told him, no, for the Bible said, and he pressed him, the last part of verse 25, and he pressed him, howbeit he would not go, but blessed him. In other words, he gave his blessing and told him to go on. So we see the solicitation, but then you find the stamina. The stamina behind this in the last part of verse 25, it said, and he pressed him. Then in verse 26, then said Absalom, If not, I pray thee, let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said unto him, Why should he go with thee? But Absalom pressed him. In verse 25 and in verse number 27, we understand he had some stamina. We could just start with an S. We could say persistence. And he persistently went after his dad. He said, Dad, come on, you've blessed me. Let all the king's sons go, my brothers. Let Amnon go with me. Well, he got his way because Amnon went. And now we see the scheme that Absalom has laid out in verse number 28. Now, Absalom had commanded his servant, saying, Mark ye now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, when I say unto you, smite Amnon, then kill him. So the first blow didn't kill him, Brother Wayne. He said, when you smite him, then kill him. So evidently, they, he was smitten first, and then he was killed. Then he goes on to say, fear not, have not I commanded you, be courageous and be valiant. You see, Absalom has took 
the idea of going to shear sheep. And he's got David, and David seems like he's easily beguiled. I mean, he really is. So is Amnon, and Absalom will be later on. Tamar was. There's a lot of beguiling going on here in this text and in these scriptures that we've been preaching on and looking at. But here he's devised this scheme, and there was an ulterior motive behind it. And for one simple reason, Absalom wanted to kill Amnon. Now, Absalom... Didn't kill Amnon with his bare hands directly, but indirectly he schemed and, and beguiled and devised a trap and a snare to ensnare him. And that's exactly what happened. We could say this last thing that Absalom had. He had some servants. We read in verse 28 again that Absalom had commanded his servants. Then look at verse 29. And the servants of Absalom did unto Amnon as Absalom had commanded. He had some folks that were working for him. So as we read through these verses, we could say, as you break this down, that Absalom had some silence. He didn't say neither good nor bad unto his brother. We could say he had some simmering, smoldering anger that, that didn't just go away. He hated Amnon for what he did to his full sister Tamar. And as a result of that, he didn't get better. He got bitter over time in two full years. And then we see the sheep. The sheep shears, that's what he had. He, he had siblings, according to the Word of God. He had solicitation. He begged his father, hey, father, go with me. And he said no. And he said, well, let my brothers go. And then he had some stamina. He pressed him twice in persistence. Verse 25 and 27, he had a scheme. There was a motive behind why he wanted all of his brothers to go. And that one motive was to kill Amnon. And he had some folks at his disposal, which were his servants. All that just sort of breaks down the context that is before us. But as I said earlier, Amnon went with the intent and with the thinking. He didn't see it. He was beguiled. He thought he was going to shear sheep. He thought they was going to have a big blast and a big party. I mean, by the way, he is heir to the throne. Surely nobody's going to touch him. But as he went to see sheep, he met a pack of wolves. Now, Jesus gave a warning in Matthew chapter number 7 and verse number 15. Beware of false prophets. Do remember when you see that word beware. Beware of the dog, man. It's put there for a reason. You might not see the dog. You might not hear the dog. But if there's a sign around there, I'm looking for a Dog. Now, the little ones might not take too big of a chunk out of you, but them big old uh, Dobermans or them pit bulls or those Rottweilers, I remember jumping a fence one time. They say, white men can't jump, son. That's a lie because I jumped you almost clear over that chain link fence. It's amazing what you can do when there's about a 100-pound dog getting ready to maul you. But when you see that word beware, you better pay attention. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Amnon didn't have a clue. When he went to Belhazor, he didn't have a he didn't have the slightest idea that his days were numbered and he's getting ready to leave planet Earth. And think about this. Go back earlier, chapter 13. Amnon, you go back and read it. Amnon had disguised a plan, Brother Harold, to trap Tamar. And that's what happened. He devised and disguised that Tamar was unaware. She was like a sheep going to the slaughter. Well, now we look at this. Absalom has disguised his plan to get to Amnon. And that proves a point in the Word of God. 
In the book of Obadiah, there's only one chapter in Obadiah, but in Obadiah chapter number 1 and verse number 15, the Bible said, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. As thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own head. That is fulfillment of that verse in Amnon's day. As Amnon had done to Tamar, he disguised that trap. She fell into it. Now Absalom has devised that trap. Now Amnon's fallen into it. Why? Because it's fell upon his own head. And the psalmist said in Psalm 7 and verse number 16, His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate. P-A-T-E. What in the world's that? That's another word, an old English word used for head. In other words, as you've done it, the same thing is going to happen to you. Sort of goes back to that New Testament verse. Be not deceived, God, Galatians 6 and verse 7. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Go return back on your head. Now, why don't we think about that, Brother Harold, before we sin? Because our minds is blind. Not our eyes, but our mind is blind. It's 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 3. You can go back and you can look at that. Our minds are blinded. I wish we could see the consequences of our actions. Things we do is going to return back to us. It might not be today. This is two full years have passed before the hammer of God's judgment fell upon Amnon. But tonight, I, I, I just want to preach on this thought. The man in the Bible that was in and out and was up and down. Well, who is that preacher? That's none other than Amnon. Amnon was in... And out, and he was up, and he was down. I want you to notice that. Think about this. Amnon never knew what hit him. Amnon didn't expect it whatsoever. And Amnon is remembered as this. Get this now before I even start. Yeah, I got four points tonight. We're going to the house. Amnon is forever remembered as a predator. A predator of Tamar. But he's also remembered, Brother Randy, as the prey of Absalom. Now you chew on that just a minute. Well, how in the world did Amnon, the heir to the throne, the prince of Israel, how in the world did he become a prey to the thirdborn Absalom according to 2 Samuel chapter number 3? We don't know what happened to that second son that was born uh, to David in Hebron, but Absalom was the thirdborn. How in the world did he become prey Unto Absalom, and Absalom being the predator, I'll tell you why. Because he was in and out, and he was up and down. Well, what are you talking about, preacher? Well, can I say this tonight? You know why Amnon fell here in the Word of God? Because he lingered in his glory. Now, stay with me now. One of the reasons that he fell prey, and the same thing will take place in our lives because we can use this as a preventative or a corrective measure in our own life. How can we fall prey to the enemy if you linger in your glory as Amnon lingered in his glory? You're not far from falling prey and the devil being the predator to devour you. You say, well, what are you talking about, preacher? Think about Amnon for just a minute. I mean, Amnon, again, he's the heir. He's the firstborn. He's, he, in his mind, he's thinking, well, man, you know, I, I'm heir to the throne. I, I'm untouchable. <laughs> Can't nobody get to me. Man, I've got all the resources. I've got my own house. I mean, I, I just 
committed a great sin two years ago. My daddy didn't even discipline me. I'm untouchable. Can't nothing happen to me. You know what old Amnon had? He had an eye disease. <laughs> you say, what's that? If you'd asked him, he wouldn't want to listen to anything you had to say about you. He wanted to be talked about himself. Here he is. He's got an eye issue. And he lingered in his own glory. Well, how, preacher, how in the world can, how does that apply to me? You saying I can fall prey to the enemy? Absolutely you can. By lingering in your own glory as Amnon lingered in his glory. For the word of God said in Proverbs 16, 18, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 said, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. That serves as a warning. We better never get to the point where we feel, Oh, man, I'm untouchable. I can't fall. I can't stumble. I can't believe they did that. I would never do that. Be careful saying that. <laughs> You'll find yourself doing the very same thing you said you would never do. If you get an eyesight problem with the eye disease, it ain't about you. But Amnon, one of the reasons he fell as a prey, he's setting up. He's going up out of sheer sheep, but he, he misses the forest for the trees, man. And there's a pack of wolves that are waiting to devour and consume him. Why? Because he's back lingering in his own glory. The book of Romans chapter 11 verse number 20 said, Be not high-minded, but fear. That's what it said. How did he fall prey to the predator? Well, he lingered in his glory. But can I say this second thing? Not only did he linger in his glory, but he left out his God. He left out his God. Are we talking about the man that was in and out and up and down in the Bible. He lingered in his own glory and he left out his God. Now, think about this. The one that had created him. The one that had created us, there, there's not another. There's only one true and living God. We just sang about it a minute ago. He lives. Thank God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. We believe all of that, but understand, we've got a creator. Thank God we've got a redeemer. But here, oh, Amnon, he fell. Yeah, he lingered in his own glory. He made it all about himself. He missed the forest for the trees. Pride's going before destruction. We find him falling in the word of God because he lingered in his glory. Now he he left out God, and he became an easy prey for the enemy and the predator. Psalm 9, verse number 17 said, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. United States of America better get that. Every nation better get that. The nation that forgets God is doomed. According to the Word of God, on their way to hell, you leave God out. We're in a culture and a society that is anti-God. It's, it's been developing. It's getting really worse and worse and worse as each generation comes along. We've come a long ways in the last 20 years, Brother Howell. There's things Brother Howell never dreamed. He'd, there's things I never dreamed I'd see here in America. I'm only 47 years old. I can only imagine what some of you have seen that's got more years on, on you than I do. And you think about how that that slippery slope is going down and it's a culture that wants to just kick God out of everything what's the destination of a nation like that well the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God now Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse number 1 said remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth what's the opposite of remember that's forget it was an encouraging 
thing there to the folks, and it talks about old age and all that. I get the context, but it's important for us to remember our Creator in our youth, not only in our youth, in our mid midlife, on up in our, our adult lives, and our we could call ancient or senior days. We ought not ever forget God. We ought to always remember Him. How in the world did Amnon fall prey? Well, I do believe that he lingered in his own glory. I believe he left out his God. I think about Romans chapter number 1, and you know this text well. But you think about this in Romans 1 and verse number 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. He talks about the creation. I mean, it takes an absolute yo-yo. To look out in the morning and to see that sun coming up and going down in the west and seeing the moon coming up, the changing of the seasons. Go down the coast, you see that barrier and that bound that God has placed when God pulls out that paintbrush in the fall and begins to paint those leaves. And then in the wintertime, everything looks like it's dead. But then sun around Easter time, I'm glad that's the time when things start coming up, man. And boy, God begins to bring things back to life. And the grass turns green and the cycles of life continue to go on and on and on. And then you see the, the birth of a precious child, maybe on young and a grand young and a family that as the church continues to grow as it is with new babies on the way. And we see all that. It takes an absolute yo-yo to say there's no God. God has proved himself over by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Verse 21 of Romans 1 said, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain of their imaginations, that their foolish heart was dark, and professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. You see, Amnon was made, God made him. But he left out his God. Nowhere in the Word of God do you find him worshiping at an altar. Nowhere do you ever see him in the house of God. And you can't tell me that God wouldn't discussed in David's house at some point or the other. In his lifetime. Had to have been. What did he do? He left out. And that word left is intentional. He left out his God. Well, how does that apply to me, preacher? Again, you can linger in your own glory and... And you may feel untouched, but you say, I just do my own thing. But listen, friend, that's when you'll fall prey to the predator. But understand this, if you leave out your God, you say, well, you know, I got better things to do than read my Bible. I got better things to do than pray. I got better things to do than come to the house of God. It won't be long, son. You're going to be on the sideline. You're going to be falling prey to the predator. Because he's lingering in his glory. (laughs) He's left out his God. Now watch this now. Now he's lifting up his glass. <laughs> what are you talking about, preacher? Read your Bible. Look right here now. 2 Samuel 13 in verse number 28. How did he fall prey? Well, he lingered in his glory. He left out his God, but now he's lifting up his glass. Look at verse 28. Now Absalom had commanded his servant, saying, Mark ye now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. <laughs> He told his servants, listen, don't worry about going around him when he's sober. Yeah, man. Why? Because he's not going to be an easy prey. 
Once he starts lifting up that glass, you're with me now? When he starts lifting up that glass, then you go smite him. Once you smite him, then you can kill him. Woe unto that crowd that lifts up that glass. I know we've hit this multiple times. We're going to hit it again tonight. I, I despise it. I despise alcohol. I despise alcoholism, social drinking, a glass of wine. It's as wicked. It's out of the pit of hell. I don't care how you describe it. Wine altered his thinking. Why in the world did he tell him, hey, wait till he gets drunk. Wait till his mind is altered. Then go after you. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about lifting up the glass, you'll become easy prey unto the predator. Proverbs 20, verse number 1, I say this often, but wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Now, what is the opposite of wise? It's foolish. Foolish. Foolishness to take something in that's going to alter your mind that makes you an easy prey to the predator. Hosea chapter 4 and verse number 11 said, Whoredom and wine and new wine take away the heart. Isaiah 28 and verse number 7, But they also have erred through wine and through strong drink or out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink. They are swallowed up of wine. They are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. Why do they err in vision? And why do they stumble in judgment? Because they're living under that influence of alcohol. They become a prey unto the predator. Here's a man in the Bible that was in and out and up and down. He's lifting up that glass. Proverbs 23, verse number 29, puts it this way. Who hath woe? It asks questions. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. That's talking about fermentation. Leave that stuff alone. Well, preacher, what if I just do, the, do my own thing? I, I heard what you said. I heard what God said. But I'm going to do my own thing. Well, you better listen to what God said right after that in verse 32. At the last, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Why? Because it alters the mind. Are you with me tonight? Amen. <laughs> Here's a man that became easy prey. How did he get to that point? He lingered in his own glory. I'm untouchable. I'm, I'm the heir to the throne. Hey, can't nobody touch me. He lingered in his glory. Pride set in. You burn all that pride set in. You'll become prey as well. He left out his God. We see no mention of him praying. We see no mention of any, any godly characters in him at all. No doubt it was discussed in his house, but he left intentionally. Left out his God. You get away from God. Get out of the house of God, and you'll become easy prey. Your family will become easy prey of the predator. Then he lifted up that glass. Now he's not thinking clearly. Again, Absalom didn't say, all right, go get him, boys, when he's sober. And oh, he said, you wait for that perfect time. When his heart is merry with wine. In other words, when he's drunk. He's beholding strange women. He don't even know what he's even doing. Amen. His vision is marred. His judgment is marred. He ain't going to have a clue what's going on. But notice this last thing. 
He, the man that was in and out and up and down in the Bible, he lingered in his own glory. He left out his God. He lifted up his glass. But watch this. He let down his guard. He let down his guard. You want a formula? You want a recipe to fall into sin and to be remembered as Amnon was remembered? Then you follow what he did. He lingered in his own glory. He left out his God. He lifted up his glass, became intoxicated. Mind was altered. Then he let down his guard. You know, you and I can't afford personally, for our personal life, to let down anything. But if you've got children, you really can't let the guard down. You've got grandchildren, you can't let your guard down. You've got folks that you work with, you, can, you cannot afford to let that guard down. Why? Because a lot of, a lot of times, and we, we get this, a lot of times the only gospel witness some folks will ever hear or see will be in me and it'll be in you. And it's up to us. So you can't let that guard down to get bizarre off and put it, to get in your spiritual hammock and just put a twig in your mouth and kick back and say, whoa, I got it made now. No, no, no. You can never let your guard down. The devil's always at work. First Peter chapter 5, and verse 8 said, be sober, be alert, be, be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, has a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. You say, preacher, I'm saved. devil can't get me. Well, he can't get your soul, but he will go after your testimony. I couldn't tell you through the years this happened at Faith. It's happened at Mount Sinai. It's happened at Friendship, churches that I've been associated with, folks, places we used to go sing years ago. You'd go a couple times a year, and there's people you used to see, and then you wouldn't see them anymore, and... And something happens along the way. Maybe, maybe folks lingered in their own glory. I'm untouchable. Maybe they left out God. Maybe something became more important to them than God. And that happens way too often, by the way. Some get to lift up that glass. wanting to. Uh, they believe the lie of the devil, painting that big old billboard with, of drinking, and they get to running with that crowd. Man, they're gone. And then sometimes they let down their guard, and they get out of church, and they get out of the will of God, and... And now they're just a statistic. I don't want to be that. I don't want you to be that. But there's not a one of us in here that's too big where we can't be in the same situation as Amnon was. If we follow his protocol, Luke 22 and verse number 31, Jesus told Peter, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. That's what the devil wants to do to me. It's what he wants to do to you. But here was a man in the Bible that lingered in his glory, left out his God, lifted up his glass, and let down his guard. You can read the end of the story. That's how his life ends. He's remembered as the predator of Tamar. Sister Savannah's coming. But he's also remembered as a prey to Absalom. Now, as far as I know, probably everybody in here knows Christ as their Savior. But you talk about a perfect recipe a perfect formula to fall prey to the predator. We see it right here. He didn't have a clue. He didn't know what was going on. And I can tell you now, you and I certainly don't need to follow his path. We don't need to follow his pattern because he lingered in his own glory. It's all about him. And you get, to, you get that mentality, you're not far from following. You probably already have. You just don't even realize it yet. Hey, man, you leave out God. In the every aspect of your life, you make decisions based on what you want. This is what I want. You start doing that. Man, you're, you're a prime candidate to fall prey to the predator.
God help us. I hope nobody is lifting up that glass. It's going to alter your mind. Some folks say, and I've even heard about preachers that sit with their, with their deacons and share beer together. You kidding? I ain't going to be around that mess. How about we get a call, Brother Evan, and we're down at the bar or at the restaurant or something, sipping on that, somebody's at the hospital. Now, you got to run down there with liquor on your breath. There's so many things about that that's messed up. I, and I tell you, you say alcohol really fires you. It does. It does. It's wickedness, ungodliness. How many lives have been changed? How many adulterous relationships have taken place? Why? Because you get drinking that stuff according to the Word of God. You're going to see strange women. Your vision's going to be marred. Your judgment is going to be out yonder somewhere. It's not going to be clear. But then if you let your guard down, you say, Preacher, I've been saved 40 years. Well, to God be the glory. You better keep that edge sharp. You better stay close to God. Amnon wasn't a little child when he fell into sin. David wasn't a little, little child. And, he, and David was a man after God's own heart. He fell into sin. He was the king of Israel. The commander-in-chief of God's army. I think you could say the same thing about him, probably. Some of the same things, same traits, fall into the same hole over and over again. God sends us by, and I hope it's been a blessing. I hope it's been a help. It may be preventive, may be corrective. I have no idea. I've done my part, and I had to deal with some things, too. But, man, I want to keep my eyes on Jesus. It's so easy. You know, I think we'd be, it'd be good. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this, but I've I seen here a while back. What, what they run them? Them, them horse races, the, the, some, the Kentucky Derby. And sometimes you see those horses, they got their blinders on, right? Those things that, that block out distractions. it do us good as believers to have some of them on. Yeah, man. <laughs> to, to help us focus. Not on the preacher. Not really necessarily on the church. But on the one that provided means of salvation for the church. And for the preacher, the Lord Jesus Christ. What he said in Hebrews, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You got to stay focused on Him. We get our eyes off of Him, we get our eyes on ourselves. Get our eyes off Him, leaving Him out. Getting it on alcohol and that glass. And you let that guard down, you'll be easy prey for the preacher. I wish I had heard a message, and I wish I had listened at a younger age. What I'm preaching to you tonight, and I get it, it's Wednesday night, but it's something that'll help us if we apply these principles to our heart and our life. Don't follow the pattern. Don't follow the path of Amnon. As we stand all over the house, let's pray. Father, I love you, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity and privilege one more time to share the Word of God. Lord, I've done my very best, Lord, to empty myself of the message of the hour. Lord, as we look at this example, this ungodly example of Amnon, Lord, help us not to follow in that path Oh, of life, so many things distract us. Lord, we see he was in, he was out, he was up, and he was down. God, help us to stay focused on you. Help us to blind out all the noise and all the chaos out around us. Help us to focus on Christ. Help us to be a better witness, Lord. Help us to have a great testimony wherever we are, whether in church, whether at home, whether on the workforce, wherever it is, grocery store, gas station. God, help us to be that godly light that shines points others to Christ. God, help us all to stay focused and not become prey to the predator. We'll give you thanks for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. A few moments tonight. So Savannah. 
Hello friends, this is Brian Pondexter, the pastor of Faith Community Baptist Church located at 2216 Hennings Road in East Bend, North Carolina. We're so grateful to have you listening to our CD ministry that's been provided as an outreach of our church. It's our desire and focus at Faith Community Baptist Church to preach and teach the whole counsel of God to a lost and dying world, to equip the saints of God for service, and to encourage the elderly and shut-ins who cannot attend services due to physical ailments. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Sunday school for all ages, and our Sunday school hour is followed by our worship service at 11 a.m. with old-fashioned singing and preaching from the Word of God. We meet back every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our worship service, and every second Sunday night of each month, we have what's called an eat and meat service. After our 6 p.m. service, we gather in the fellowship hall for food and fellowship. On Wednesdays, we meet back at the church for our midweek worship service with choir singing and preaching again from God's holy word. Our ladies prepare a meal each Wednesday prior to our service from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. I give you and your family a cordial invitation to be with us at any or all of our service times. Above all, you may be listening today, and maybe you've never made a personal commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the greatest decision anyone can ever make in this life. Too many folks prepare for vacation. They prepare for retirement. They seem to prepare for everything, but sad to say, many make no preparations for eternity. The reality is very clear. We all will leave this world someday. For the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You must understand that you are guilty before a holy God. Romans 3.23 said, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The prophet Isaiah said in chapter 53 and verse 6, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You must understand that your good words, good works and good deeds will not get you to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible said, Therefore by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. You must understand that you are loved. I'm thankful that in John 3 and verse 16 it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5 and verse 8 declares, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You must understand and realize there's only one way to stand right before God. There's not many ways, there's only one. Jesus said in John 14 and verse number 6, He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, the apostles' message was very simple. There in Acts chapter 4, in verse number 12, they said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. You might ask the question, Preacher, how can I be saved? That's what the Philippian jailer asked in Acts chapter 16, verse 30 and 31. He asked Paul and Silas, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. Romans 10, 9 said that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You must ask God to save you. I can't do it. No one can do it for you. 
Romans 10, 13 said, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you know you're a sinner, and if you're sorry for your sin, and you believe Jesus died for your sins, you simply have to ask Him to save you. And I say, Preacher, how can I know for sure God will hear me? Well, first of all, the Bible tells us that we must be drawn. John 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me except the Father which had sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Psalm 51 and verse 17 gives us the attitude we need to have when we come to God. It said there, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. If God draws you by conviction, if you're sorry for your sin, you repent of them. If you believe Jesus died for your sins, and if you asked him to save you, then the Bible declares you've been saved. If you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you've been forgiven of all your sin. Romans 8, 1 declares, There is therefore now no condemnation of them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Once a person has been saved, they need to be a part of a fundamental Bible-believing church where they can grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. God calls us out of darkness and commands us to walk in light after we've been saved by His marvelous grace. If we can help you here at Faith Community Baptist Church in any way, feel free to contact us. If you have asked God to save you, please contact us and we will send you some free literature to help you in your newfound life in Christ. Thank you again for listening to our CD ministry that's been provided by our church here. And may God richly bless you and your family is our prayer.